do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Macy, you really messed up my plans. I had it all figured out in my head that you weren't going to, you know, be amazing at it. But uh, thank you for that. Thank you for bringing that. And uh, we'll continue to try and do some encouraging things with, uh, with the sermon in the bag. So uh, this morning, I, as I already shared, I want to speak to us about uh, being a community. Uh, a community of believers that look and live and embrace uh, the way of Jesus and be the image of Christ in this world. It has felt like uh, for us as a church and congregation and churches across uh, the world, around the world, uh, have sort of wrestled with their identities and uh, have been sort of beat up <laughs> as to what our identity is and what we're all about. And so uh, last week, I just wanted to share with us that we are the community of King Jesus, that we are a part of his kingdom and we are citizens in his kingdom. And what a comforting reminder uh, that uh, while, uh, while power, there's a power struggle around the world and even in America, we know that there's no power struggle in heaven, that Jesus reigns and he is Lord and he's king. Uh, when uh, we face troubled times or difficulty, uh, when you're a coach for a football team, or if you're in an adversity, or an adver- uh, you're facing adversity, and things aren't going right, you always fall back to technique and what you did in practice. You say, just go back to doing what was, what was good and right, and remember your form, and remember these things that we've been working on, and just keep doing those things. And it may not feel like they're working, but eventually... Having the right form and the right work ethic, they'll work out. And I think that that applies to the church. Just reminding ourselves, yeah, it seems like everything's sort of topsy-turvy and we don't know how uh, things are shaping up. We just need to remind ourselves, what is, it, what is our etiquette? What is our conduct? What are the things that we do? And we are to be a people of God's word. We're to be people of prayer. We're to be a people who gather together and encourage one another, lift each other up. We're to be a generous and loving community. We're to be a people who serve and, and uh, care for the needs of one another. And so as we think about like our life and everything going on, we just have to remember that the, the coach uh, is calling the play the same way he's always been calling the play. God's been telling us to go out there and love and serve and care for one another. God's telling us to spend time in his word, teaching us uh, uh, his commandments and obeying them. We, he's giving us the play call that says uh, to go and pray for our enemies, pray for, uh, pray for one another. He's giving us the play call to go and spend uh, time with him, spend time with our fellow believers, spend time with people in the world and win them to the Lord. So God, he keeps calling the same plays, and we need to remember that we can keep playing these plays keep loving and serving and caring for one another. I, I think about our culture, and I, I am chief among them, is that we try to avoid suffering. Like, suffering is not something that you really set out to go and accomplish. You know, it's like, I know what I want to do, I know what I want to do today. Uh, you know, besides take over the world uh, with Pinky, you want, to, um, you want to avoid suffering, avoid pain. Like, you're not going to set out to do that. It would be kind of foolish uh, if you did. And we have advanced technology in, in incredible ways. Uh, right now, you could go on 
online and you could go and get yourself a Roomba, a little vacuum cleaner. Um, I'm not going to ask anybody if they have one or if they're tempted to get one, but you can basically avoid vacuuming, which is like, you know, one of the worst family chores that you have to do. And it even will go, if you get the advanced model, it can collect all the stuff and then it like dumps itself out and you don't have to vacuum anymore. Like that sounds really good. We have uh, technology now where it's been around forever, but just dishwashing. We can shove it all in the machine and it does it for you and it's the most glorious thing ever. Uh, some wives are looking at their husbands like, why haven't you gotten me a dishwasher yet? Um, but, uh, you know, we have these things that sort of take away our, our discomfort. And some of the dads are thinking that's what the kids are for. But uh, 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 anyways, I'm distracted by you all once again. It's like old times, so this is good. But um, uh, we think about just sort of ways that we can make our lives easier, ways to make our life um, uh, simpler. And, and, and in all of this advancement, in all of this advancement to avoid difficulty, my question would be, what has it done for our souls? What has it done for the development of who we are as people when we live our lives trying to avoid suffering at all costs? We, as a nation, have wrestled with this because of COVID, because of uh, this thing that is going on in our world. We don't know how to rationalize something that we can't fix and control and avoid pain and suffering. So we're having a very difficult time processing this because we have lived our lives avoiding difficulty. I uh, am fascinated by a man named Glenn Mills. He's about so tall and he's about so round. And, uh, and I say that, I don't normally describe people, but he is the coach. Does anybody know what he's the coach for? Anybody, Glenn Mills? I'll tell you who he has coached. You know of him. He's the fastest man in the world. His name is Hussein Bolt. This short, stocky guy who doesn't look like I, like I could beat him in a foot race, he's the one teaching Hussein Bolt to be the fastest guy in the world. And I'm kind of like, how does that work? You know, it's like it seems like you would want, you know, someone who looks like Hussein Bolt to help him achieve his goal. And and then you talk to the guy, or you listen to him. I obviously haven't talked to him. I listened to an interview. And, uh, and in his interview, like people are asking him, they're looking at him, and it's like, how in the world have you had so many of the fastest sprinters in the world come out of Jamaica? Which is a legitimate question, because like every year in the Olympics, uh, in the Summer Olympics for the sprinters, I'll tell you what. Jamaica is going to be one, two, and three, and maybe USA will squeak in there, but Jamaica is in the top three, and they are always consistently the fastest people in the world. So they're interviewing Glenn, and it's like, what's the secret? And he said, I've traveled around the world, and what I saw was a, a bunch of facilities that tried making the athletes as comfor comfortable as possible. And so they have this incredible machinery and all of these things to make, you know, saunas and jacuzzis and, and all of these things to make the sprinters as comfortable as possible. And he said, it is my job as their coach to make them as uncomfortable as humanly possible. And you look at the Jamaican uh, facilities uh, there in Jamaica, and their field is a bunch of rocks and stones. Uh, there's really hardly any track for them to actually run on. 
they run on dirt and rocks. And they haul tires behind themselves. And they make the task of becoming faster excruciating. Because Glenn Mills knows a secret about developing as people. And he, he knows and he understands that it's in the uncomfortable that brings about the greatest change and the greatest growth. And so part of me, knowing this story and knowing this illustration and knowing how the Bible works, I can know and understand that difficulty and suffering is something that God uses to start breaking down the, harden, uh, the hardening of all of our hearts and to remind us of our deep need for God. I can know this to be true, and, and at the same time, I also hate suffering and I hate the hurt. And I think that all of us can understand that God is doing something. We can understand and know that God is wanting to grow in us something new and something good and something beautiful that He is bringing a new church to Etna Green. He's bringing a new church around the world, one that has endured suffering in a way that honors and glorifies Christ and comes out on the other side in a beautiful new way as the beautiful bride of Christ that gives its love and its devotion and its full allegiance to Jesus Christ as Lord and King. That these things start falling away and God's taking, God's taking His hammer and he's chipping away at the hardening of all of our hearts to say, where, where, is, where is your true allegiance and your love? Do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength? In all of these efforts to make our lives as comfortable as possible, I'm curious what's been happening to my soul. And I can tell you, tell you that it's at times not very good. A deep sense of thinking, I'm, I know I'm not enough, God. I read a, a fascinating quote, and I, and I think I forget, I've shared it enough times now that I don't know if I've shared it with you. <laughs> and so it bears repeating, though, that, um, that pride is the obverse of self-reliance. That humility is the obverse of trust in God. And what I have found over and over again as we do this deep soul search and who we are, as we wrestle with everything happening in our lives, what my pride, what I have often felt like um, was me trying to be humble when I look at the obverse side of humility, I don't know how much trust in God I was putting in him. And that sometimes I was making humility out to being sort of self-deprecating humor. When really what was going on is a reliance on self. Proving myself worthy. Proving that I have control. And what you see in... Uh, what you see in that is, is that if, if what I was doing was actually just self-reliance, well, the other side of that's pride. But when we trust in God, the obverse side of that is humility. Going about our lives, trusting and knowing that God is God and that I'm not, that you're not. I don't know, you're pretty special, but you're not God, right? 
or to rely and trust in Him. And so the journey of the Israelites is a lot of this suffering and learning about where they rely, or who they rely on. The Israelites, they would find themselves in pretty difficult circumstances, and they would start suffering under the oppression of Babylon or Assyria or other rulers or bad kings, and all kinds of problems would come in their life, and eventually it would get bad enough that they would realize that they haven't been relying on God. They haven't put their trust in Him, but they were taking care of themselves, and they were trusting in their own strength. So it brings up a very important question for our own walk and our own journey. Are you relying on Him? Are you trying to control things for yourself? Are you trying to uh, show yourself uh, busy and do everything that you can uh, to control your world and control your life? Or are you giving your life in faith, trust, and obedience? When all of the stuff hit and we tried coming back, uh, there was a little uh, thing written by Leonard Sweet. And he said something along the lines of, you know, y'all are complaining that you have to wear masks to church. Some of y'all have been wearing masks to church your entire life. Dang, that'll preach. I realize he's talking to me. We don't live in a world where we can talk about suffering and grief, sadness. I'm just going to say it. I'm sad. I'm hurting. I'm sad about things I don't even know what I'm sad about. I just want the world to know that I'm not okay. I don't really want the world to know. I want you to know. But I keep asking God. And I hope to keep running the right play. And just keep doing what I, I know to be right and good. And it's to and it's to read and it's to study and it's to draw near to Him. To keep running the play and knowing that it will work. When I look at the condition of my soul and I realize that if I feel this way, I'm probably not the only one. In the last year, I know several ministers who have stepped down, who have resigned. In my pride, I say, I don't want to be that one. I don't want to be like them. I've got to be better than them. My pride is self-reliance. I, as we move forward, I don't want to be a church that wears masks. I want to be a community of suffering. Because we aren't embarrassed by suffering. We aren't insecure about it. Eventually, we've got to get into the Word of God. and I like Romans 8.14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. 
the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory, that we would share in his sufferings, that we also might share in his glory. And so I start getting a little bit of a glimmer of hope. The Spirit of God is in me. The Spirit is with me and he's crying with me. The rest of the chapter is about Paul explaining that it's not just people who are crying out, but it's the Spirit that's crying out. And it's not just the people who are crying out and the Spirit crying out, but all of creation is groaning and crying out to God. Everyone is groaning and saying, Lord, Jesus, come. Lord, make this new. Lord, bring about your purposes. Lord, help me to see what is going on. And so just like a seed dies and is buried and brings about life, we pray that our suffering would lead to a death of self and that we would rise to new life, that we would have hope, that we would be restored, that we would be renewed by God. And So I pray that this hurt would yield a fruit for the glory of God. And whatever circumstances are going on in your life, that whatever hurt or suffering or grief or sadness or sorrow, that you would have people who embrace that with you and are present with you. You would not be alone. You would not be afraid. You would know that God is with you and that His Spirit is with you and that His Spirit is groaning with you and the Christian church is groaning with you when one part hurts, the whole part hurts. That we are a people who hurt and suffer together. We trust and know that the rest of the chapter is something that we've clinged on to as Christians. Remind us, what shall we then say in verse 31? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and He's interceding for us. There's one there who knows every bit of our suffering. And He's interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else, and all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord.
some folks would look at the Christian faith and they can poke quite a few holes at it. When we see uh, when we see the corruption of the church when it embraces power and empire, it's pretty easy to see the hypocrisy and how bad that works out for us. When is the bride the most beautiful? When it's cozied up to empire and emperor? Or when it is in the midst of suffering and caring for the least of these? There's a simple illustration of a person who lived a remarkable life among the poor and the broken. We look to Mother Teresa and we see frail a frail woman, but one of the most beautiful women to ever walk the earth. Because she was one among the suffering. We look to the start of the church, and we see a God who came to be one among the suffering. We look to the church today, And I hope that we will find it as one among those who are suffering and hurting. That we would be among the homeless. That we would be among those who are hurting and far away from God. That we would be one with people who are lost and far from Him. That we would be with those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. That we would be with those who are hurting for any number of reasons. church understands the suffering of the world, and it offers it hope. There's one that's greater than the suffering. There's one that's greater than death. There's one who's greater than sin. And he looks to all of us, and he says, yeah, you got tripped up there. But just to remind you, there's no condemnation in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, lead us to be among those who are hurting. Lord, remind us where you desire to find us. You desire to find us not as the proud, but as the humble. You desire to find us, Lord, as the repentant. Lord, you seek to find us in our brokenness and our hurt, and you reach out to us. Lord, remind us that there are people who are hurting and point them and point us in their direction. Lord, that we wouldn't seek to be comforted, but that we would seek to comfort the afflicted. Point them to you. Lord, in our efforts to put love where it's not, remind us just to be love where we are. Be with you. Lord, there's a heaviness on all of us, some more than others. Help us to hear from you. Draw near to you. Be reliant upon you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
I want to encourage you with a prayer from Mother Teresa. It's a prayer for humility. It's a lot like praying for patience. I know you're not supposed to do that. Deliver me, O Jesus, from the desire of being loved. From the desire of being extolled. From the desire of being honored. From the desire of being praised. From the desire of being preferred from the desire of being consulted, from the desire of being uh, from the desire of being approved, from the desire of being popular, from the fear of being humiliated, from the fear of being despised, from the fear of suffering rebukes, from the fear of being calumniated. I practice all week. Calumniated. I can't even say it. It means that people would be uh, critical of you. From the fear of being forgotten, from the fear of being wronged, from the fear of being ridiculed, from the fear of being suspected, that others may be loved more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease, that others may be chosen and I set aside, that others may be praised and I unnoticed that others may be preferred to me in everything, that others may become holier than me, provided that I may become holy as I should. I will never join the suffering of the world. I'm too proud. Humility leads us to Jesus and it's humility that led Jesus to the cross. They did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. They laid down his life. They laid down his life for you and me. The church is at its most beautiful when it seeks first the kingdom of God, when it seeks first Jesus Christ, when it seeks the cross of Christ. Jesus invites us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow him. Stand and